When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today's episode is brought to you by Vivo Life. We all know the importance of a healthy diet, but in the situation that we're all in right now, it could be difficult to get all the daily nutrients that we need. Vivo Life make my favourite health supplements on the market, and they're also one of the most environmentally conscious companies I have come across. Vivo Life make all of their products in their renewable energy powered factory in Glastonbury right here in the UK using organic ingredients. I take their vitamin D3 and omega-3 daily as these are key nutrients that can be hard to get when following a plant-based diet. Vivo Life is a certified carbon neutral company where all of their products are 100% plant-based and they plant one tree for every order. Vivo Life also offer a free sustainability guide which is packed with tips and advice to help us live more sustainably. From divesting our banks to shopping locally this free ebook is packed full of tips and advice to help us reduce our impact on the planet i've left the link to download in the show notes and if you're looking for healthy plant-based supplements that taste amazing then head over to vivolife.co.uk and use the discount code talking taste buds to get 10 percent off your first purchase thanks very much to vivo life Welcome back to Talking Taste Buds Season 6. I'm Venetia Lamana, and in this series, I chat to inspiring thinkers and leaders who encourage people like you and me to live a conscious and full life. Lydia Morrow is a self taught, sustainable, and ethical fashion designer specializing in underwear for all sizes and genders. She studied painting and printmaking at Glasgow School of Art and began making underwear as she couldn't find bras that were stylish and in her size. She refers to the line as outside of the male gaze and began showcasing it via her Instagram account at what Lydia made. I wanted to interview Lydia about sustainable fashion in regards to inclusivity and accessibility as she has so many valuable thoughts and insights on this topic. In this episode, we talk about her joint hypermobility disability, size and gender inclusivity in fashion, her issues with calling for sustainable consumption from people in low-income households, her tips for shopping ethically for all body types, keeping costs and waist low when producing garments, body neutrality and how to get into sewing as a beginner. I absolutely loved chatting to Lydia and her Instagram account is one of my favourite to follow on the entire platform so I've left useful links to her and lots of incredible articles in the show notes. I really hope you enjoyed this episode here is Lydia Morrow on Talking Taste Buds. Let us start as we always do before we take a deep dive into our conversation. What did you have for breakfast? During lockdown, I have managed to somehow create a system where uh, my husband makes breakfast for all three of us in the morning. So this morning I had a seeded bread with uh, peanut butter and jam on top. Ooh, I love that combo. <laughs> That's a very good combo. One thing I would really like to get sorted is a little bit about who you are and where you're from, because I didn't expect you to have the accent that you have. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about where you grew up, because you don't altogether sound like you're from Glasgow. 
Yes, I always forget that that's so confusing to people the first time they meet me. Um, I was born in Indiana in America, but I only lived there until I was six years old. So I have, I all growing up, I grew up in Bishop Briggs just outside of Glasgow, but um, spoke in a Glaswegian accent at school and an American accent at home. And as an adult, I've just committed to the one that seemed that I got first. So... <laughs> I love it. It's very, very mutual. <laughs> I really like it. I think having a Northern Irish husband as well, it's now all just sort of evening out into one weird mid-accent. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you've been kind of coping over the past weeks and months. It's obviously a really challenging time for, for all of us. Um, how have you been finding day-to-day -day life recently? Uh, well... It started out, I mean, when the kind of lockdown started and nursery stopped and stuff, we were just like, oh my gosh, how are we going to handle this? Because I had just quit my main job to have some time for like physical recovery because I have a disability that affects like chronic pain in my life. And that we were like, how are we going to cope with this looking after a kid when I've just quit just to get some time to myself? But um, kind of, I think three weeks in, my sister moved in with us and that's been incredibly helpful. And we've kind of gotten to this point where we've got a bit of a schedule where all of us know when we have time to ourselves and when we have responsibilities with Ransom. So it's easing in, it's starting to feel normal, <laughs> which is great because it was pretty tough for the first few weeks. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about growing up in Indiana and then and then the move just so we can kind of get a good understanding of you because so much of the um, articles and videos that I've seen about you have been very much focused on your work and I'd love to hear a bit more about what growing up was like for you and also because this initially started as a food podcast many moons, <laughs> moons ago if you had any kind of if you have any really strong memories of food in your childhood and whether or not you even liked food that kind of thing would be great to hear about. <laughs> Well, um, the term growing up in Indiana is probably a broad term because I only lived there until I was six. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the memories but, are hazy. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, mm, I was born in Indianapolis, which is the capital, like biggest city in Indiana. And my parents were like 19 and 21 when they had me. And within the next three years, I had two more siblings. So it's wow. always been a big family. He, my dad was a the lead singer of a punk rock band and also a manager of a Taco Bell. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and my mom uh, stayed home with us and did some like visual art stuff. So we've always had like a really creative upbringing. And when we were in Indiana, my mom homeschooled us. So we had a lot of like, uh, just general focus on like arts and music and things like that since we were little kids. Um, and then when we moved here, I started going to normal, normal school, quote unquote. I think I have a ton of food memories attached to America just because you like idolize certain foods when you're a kid. And I always feel so guilty because my mom was such a good cook and <laughs> always made us real food. And then we're like, no, I don't care about that. All my food memories are junk food from America 
because <laughs> the, the land of the junk food. Absolutely. Well, if you go from America to Scotland, it's just it's sad when you're a seven year old and you're like, oh, I just missed the level of salt. <laughs> Did they have fried deep fried Mars bars by the time you got there? In Scotland? Yeah. yeah but I think I only tried one for the first time maybe a couple years ago. Was it disappointing or did it live up to the the, the, the hype? It's a little disappointing in my opinion, but I feel like people are going to roast me for that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I obviously know you as an incredible designer and dressmaker and underwear designer. And I know you feel from your work on Instagram. But how did you get into doing what you're doing today? Well, um, I guess I st <laughs> I've always been interested in fashion and illustration, like since I was a kid. And because our family was really low income, we we've always shopped at charity shops and stuff like that. But um, I never because our family was also weird. <laughs> we had like a big uh, I've always had a thing about like, Charity shopping was never an embarrassing or like necessity thing for me. I always thought it was super cool and like I always had clothes nobody else had and was always interested in vintage stuff and kind of like curating new weird clothes out of stuff that nobody else had access to because they just weren't available in big quantities and uh so I, I kind of, I worked at like a kid's vintage shop when I was in high school and was really interested in that stuff, but I decided to go into fine art when I went to uni. Um, and I studied painting and printmaking. And where did um, you, but, this was in Glasgow, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I went to Glasgow School of Art, which I feel like in hindsight, I probably could have <laughs> benefited from taking fashion or illustration. But I think that having the fine art context gave me a little bit more freedom to do whatever I wanted with these things which is really helpful now in like I haven't learned a bunch of like oh, problematic fashion rules or whatever yeah, yeah <laughs> which is yeah. quite good Definitely. especially when it comes to like sustainability and in inclusivity like I I'm not I wouldn't I don't think I'd have quite such an open standpoint on these things necessarily if I had studied fashion yeah, um, absolutely. Rather, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't have had to do all of that unlearning. Exactly. Yeah. Your listeners won't necessarily know, but I'm I'm fat or plus size, whatever term people are comfortable with, but um that's more of a recent thing for me since having a kid, mm -hmm. but I've always had like big boobs, been very curvy all my life even when I was a lot thinner. Um so when I was in art school, I was maybe like kind of average size 12, but I didn't have any underwear that fit me. That was also cool. So um, I, my friend, I, I have a friend who I still work with today. I'll shout her out. She's called Cassandra. She works at the Stitchery Studio and does like fashion education stuff and uh, sustainability stuff. And she was doing a course on making underwear and I learned there from uh, Hazel Leatherby from Mishki Lingerie. Okay. And um, that was awesome. I learned a lot of skills and kind of went home and learned way more. And people were seeing me post my progress on Instagram and they were like, I also never have underwear that fits me, please. <laughs> Can you sell me some? And I was like, ah, 
okay. And it kind of just snowballed. I think what's kind of so fascinating about it as well is how many of us wear underwear that frankly doesn't fit us even when we think it does. Like I used to just go into Marks and Spencer's or whatever and just go for kind of a 34B because that's what my some of my friends had and that's what I potentially thought <laughs> I was. I never actually got measured properly until I found um, a kind of small um, sustainable brand in Hackney in London where I went in and they measured me and I was like, oh my gosh, this has revolutionised my life. I think <laughs> so many of us, because maybe also because potentially it's not, like we don't, We I, when I was younger, my I felt so kind of cringed out at the thought of going to M&S with my mum and going in the changing rooms and having a stranger, you know, I just yeah. felt like it was quite a taboo <laughs> thing at the time. Yeah, my mom put me through my paces because she has always had really big boobs her whole life as well. And when I was 13 for my birthday present, she took me to Bravissima for a fitting and I was so embarrassed. I was like, no, she was like, you'll thank me for this. And of course, I so appreciate it. And it means that I've almost always had bras that fit, even if they were ugly. I love that. Go mum. She was on it. Yeah. She was on it from the beginning. <laughs> but something I really, really love about the underwear that you make is how inclusive it is for all bodies and all genders. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired you to start the range and also where you're kind of planning on taking it in the future? And I guess most importantly, why inclusivity is so important for you? Well, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure if I'm going to take it forward a lot more at this point, mostly because I have a lot of physical issues around doing it. I've, I've recently got diagnosed with um, joint hypermobility syndrome or hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. That would be called like JHS or EDS. Um, and those are like connective tissue disorders where the connective tissue that holds together your body is not like strong or regenerating as fast as normal people's so it kind of affects my joints the most but also can affect like all of my systems uh just has like fatigue joint pain uh gi problems all all the fun stuff i could go on But yeah, it got it, it goes it can get worse with hormone surges. So it's gotten a lot worse since I had my kid. Um, but I didn't know I had it before then. So <laughs> that's been a fun journey. I'm really sorry to hear that. It does it's such a it's just such a, a shame that it inhibits you from your passion and your work. Yeah, it's very frustrating, but um I'm very glad that I know what's going on a little bit more now because it's definitely given me a lot of space to actually start kind of gaslighting myself about it and make my life accessible. I had decided to take some time off and possibly just stop doing what I was doing. Um, And then obviously I've gotten, or this has all happened. (laughs) And it's given me some time to kind of think about what works and what doesn't work but i'm still not entirely sure i still have like all these ideas about fashion and things but it's really challenging as well one of the big things for me is uh like i guess the more you get into environmental stuff the more challenging it is no matter what scale you're on to be like putting new things into the world that are physical that are like brand new and so that's been one of the things that's kind of 
been a push and pull for me in my head about what is actually going on with my future that I'm not totally sure about right now. I mean, I understand, but also I think if anyone is doing it in a slow, small and ethical way, it's probably you. Yeah, I know. And if I more know. of us could be doing it in your way, the, the planet would only thank us. You just get your standards pushed and pushed, eh? You just... I think I'm bad about um, batting. It's not a terrible trait, but I do expect a lot of myself with every moral thing that I have. Let's talk a little bit more about um, inclusivity of not just body body size, but also genders. Is this something that has always been a part of what you do, or is it something that you've kind of focused on more recently in in the past few months and years? Um. Well, so before I started making underwear, I was working, I I was making some fashion pieces as part of my designs for my show and things like that. Um, And I obviously hadn't gotten to the point where it was like a range or anything like that. But uh, I had, I've always had size inclusivity in my head, which is good, (laughs) good, good in terms of that I did eventually become one of the people who needed that. but basically there's like been a lot of people in my life who are very important to me all my life who are fat and haven't been included. And so it, it's always been something in my head. Like I never would have set out without the idea of size inclusivity, even when I was thin. But um, gender inclusivity was definitely something that it fairly quickly on came into my head, but I, I guess it wasn't like my first thought which I feel a bit, you know, you can feel disappointed in yourself, but I, I, I just continued to try and act on how, how to make that happen. But, um, I guess as I was making stuff, I was just like, there's literally no reason why anybody shouldn't be allowed to wear any kind of clothes. And it's, uh, because underwear is so like shaped and specific to your shape of your body. I was like, well, this is a bit ridiculous not making versions for every shape of body because you can't just like with clothes you can kind of pick up a dress that doesn't have darts in it and if you don't have boobs you can wear it and it doesn't look silly but you know it's challenging to put on a shaped bra if you don't have boobs and I was like well that I, I really want to be a part of changing that kind of process for people and making it not like oh I don't have the body for this and just feel like, oh, cool, this is another option for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. I started thinking about sustainability in my fashion choices probably about two or three years ago now. And when I came to it, I felt like the, the, the what seemed to be on offer was, frankly, Stella McCartney, which um, <laughs> isn't accessible uh, really at all and for for multiple reasons mm-hmm. um but something but as I've kind of delved a bit deeper I've definitely found that it is more accessible than I initially expected this is in terms of brands I guess because obviously you can shop secondhand and all of that kind of thing which has varying degrees of accessibility depending on your size but I'd love to talk about what you've said about how buying or making clothing in a sustainable way is different for everyone because that's just such a wonderful nuanced way of looking at it can you tell my listeners a little bit 
more about what you meant when you said that. Yeah, I suppose when I started thinking more about sustainability, I was uh, probably mostly shopping at either like charity shops or like Gap and H&M. And at the time I was like really focused on trying to take steps to just buy less because I kind of realized at some point that I, <laughs> it's, it's very common and like pretty normalized in our culture to just buy things every week. Yeah. Like I, I walked past Gap every day to go to uni and I was like, ooh, sale, you know, like it's hard to, that that's, there's nothing negative about that in our culture. And so you don't kind of question it at first. And I guess as I've gone, I'm mostly, now I probably have an almost entirely sustainable wardrobe, but um, from the outset, you know, coming from a low income background and <laughs> only being friends with like art students who don't have any money, uh, I'm like, have been very aware of how inaccessible like financially a lot of like sustainable fashion options are mm -hmm. um and i guess it's funny because we were just talking about how i hold myself to this like wildly unsustainable standard when it comes to my morals a lot of the time but um you know over time i, I grew up vegetarian i should have said this with my food and childhood part you know, over time, people who are in my family have stopped being vegetarian for like financial reasons or things like that. And we've talked a lot about, I, I mean, I guess I'm using this as a parallel to fashion of like how uh, accessible financially, like choosing to only eat sustainable or um, ethically farmed or whatever is just like not an option for a lot of people. And so for me, I've kind of grown up with those conversations and then thinking about fashion, I've been like, you know, um, we do have to meet people where they're at, especially considering the problems with fashion are caused by huge, huge wealth inequality beyond, way beyond almost all of our pay grades. <laughs> and uh, I think it's really unhealthy to put the impetus on a single one consumer to, to change the whole world, but I think that these individual steps can be super important. So seeing somebody who doesn't have very much income, you know, cut down on how many fast fashion items they're buying. I think if every low income person bought one less t-shirt every however long, that actually does make an impact. Whereas the people, I kind of expect that the people who are middle class or upper class are gonna be the ones who are thinking about fully change your wardrobe stop buying things from fast fashion do you know what i mean yeah i just don't feel comfortable calling for that kind of action from every single person because it is quite challenging financially for certain people absolutely i really appreciate the parallel that you made between food and fashion it's actually something that i've talked about quite a lot in the past um because i am vegan how do you know someone's vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. And <laughs> I went vegan probably about five or six years ago now. And at first, I just didn't think about it in a nuanced way at all. And over the years, and ha having had conversations and having done research, I've realized that I've just been kind of very confronted by the fact that there are so many uh, layers of privilege that have led me 
to being able to choose this lifestyle and also stick to it. And I absolutely think it's the same for fashion. I'd love to hear about your advice to someone who wants to shop in a kind of more sustainable and ethical way who's not necessarily straight sized. Do you think it's fairly easy to achieve now that sustainable fashion has grown in popularity? What's your kind of advice and opinion on the landscape at the moment? I guess for starters, I should say I'm I'm a size 22 UK and in most sort of sustainable fashion brands, I find myself falling into kind of like 3X, 3XL kind of category. Um, and o- overarchingly, that's above the average size, but it's not, it's not, um, it's not a, a particularly big plus size. And so I have a lot of privilege that comes with being on this kind of like above average but still catered to section of of society so um like everything that i say has the caveat of like you know this is what works for me as somebody who's above average but not necessarily has i don't necessarily have the experience of somebody who's bigger than me and i do i think i'm basically on the cutoff of where this experience ends so maybe like a size 16 to a size 22 might have the same struggle but i do think once you're going size 24 and over there's a lot a lot more uh i guess fashion inequality or lack of access or things so mm-hmm. one of the things i do on my patreon is like ebay shopping for people and uh Oh my gosh, I was shopping for somebody who's a size 14 the other day and I was like, oh my goodness, I totally forgot how easy it is on eBay uh, if you have like a straight size because I have this whole system of using all the different filters, using all the different things on eBay to try and find things that are cool and comfortable and also my size. Um, and so I guess when you're having to do secondhand shopping as a fat person, of around my size, it's just kind of a matter of stick to You have to have a lot more patience for adjusting all the filters and like trawling through stuff and going back to the same charity shops constantly. But I guess one of my biggest things is to make sure you ask about measurements, know your measurements, ask the sellers about the measurements and actually confirm that things will fit you. And then also, I like to try to filter things by like what material they're made out of because I find that a lot of secondhand plus size stuff is, is it's probably the same in straight size. There's just more options, um, is made of horrible materials, like really Polys scratchy. And... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm always like adding linen or cotton to my search or filtering by material on eBay. I find Depop is almost a write-off for... <laughs> plus size fashion unless you know people right I just like can't search for it and anytime you search for like a certain big size it's just like a thousand photos of somebody who's a size 10 in a 3xl t-shirt which is so hard to understand you're like I don't know if this will fit me (laughs) it's a lot of work but I guess for me I I've always loved doing it so even though it's harder now I still get really like into it It feels like you have the chase (laughs) so maybe maybe I guess because people don't often need new clothes 
changing that mindset a little bit to be more like, I'm going to find, I'm going to keep looking and find the perfect fun thing as opposed to being like, all right, what am I going to buy today? <laughs> it's probably a pretty good change of perspective if you're, especially if you're plus size, trying to find secondhand clothes. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Something that I really appreciated um, that I've seen you write about before as well is how the people, we're kind of very quick to disregard fast fashion, but actually most of the people who make those clothes are really, really skilled. And something that I've kind of found very accessible to me as I've tried to slow my habits um, is to really kind of love and appreciate the fast fashion pieces that I already own. Not only as a way to make them last longer, but also to show respect to the people who made them. Yeah, absolutely. I was teaching my sister how to make a, a change on a piece of clothing she had the other day. And I was kind of pointing out some little bit in the stitching where it looked a little bit wonky. And she was like, huh, it almost looks handmade. And I was like, actually, all fashion is handmade. It's just kind of the standards under which it's made. And she was like, what? I guess I just assumed there were like factories that just made a shirt. And I was like, me too. It's so wild. You just don't, I guess you just assume like, how could it be possible to produce on this scale and make people do it <laughs> but therein lies the problem right I think exactly it's terrifying like I guess that's kind of maybe the light bulb that a lot of people need to have go off of like oh my gosh you know I put so much value on quote-unquote handmade but it's quite disturbing that like fast fashion clothes aren't allowed to have that label when they are very much handmade I'd love to know about how you kind of keep your costs and waste low when you're producing um, clothes uh, in a way that whilst you're also catering for different sizes and a range of body types. Because I had a conversation with a designer recently 
and they've decided to cater for a specific size range and they've made that decision because they just they think if they were to go to be more inclusive it would um be detrimental to their costs and their ability to make money how does that affect what your work in terms of yeah waste and costs when you're catering for more sizes well i think this is to be honest it's probably to do like it's probably only possible to work this way now because of the internet but um i just made ready to or uh, not ready to order made to order every single time and i overarchingly like even businesses that aren't inclusive are choosing that path now because it means especially for a small business you're not making anything you don't need to make you're not having overheads of stuff that's not going to be able to sell because you accidentally misestimated which things were going to go and made too much um it basically means there's no waste except for if something has to be redone because you're you're never producing excess and then it also leaves you open to be able to just make to order whichever things have actually been ordered um and i've never had a problem with customers being concerned with that i had people would order at the start of the month and then through they would have like a slot of time that I would allot them and then I would make it in that time and put everything out like a week or two after the date and really that has meant there's no there's definitely no waste in terms of uh actual garments and then the waste of fabric and things is pretty low um because I'm able to cut it all out at once and uh because it wasn't like made to order and then it will be done that week. It would be at the start of the month so I could allot all the fabric and things like that all at the same time. And I think that's a really good option. I definitely, like I said, I've seen a lot of other brands doing that. And and overarchingly, it does seem like you're not like you're not always going to get a million stockists and a lot of businesses can't afford to have a real life shop. So there there's not even that much impetus to have stock. So I guess it's it's kind of, for me, it was like kind of a no-brainer of like, well, then it means I can provide for everyone and I can not not waste any garments or, or waste any labor and waste any money for myself getting it made. Now you put it like that, it just makes so much sense. <laughs> it makes so much sense. I, I was actually really keen to ask you what your advice would be for someone who's listening, who either works for an ethical brand, um, or is a designer themselves that currently only caters for straight size bodies? I, I would just say, like, I know that there are there are pattern designers and uh, freelance people who specialize in plus size clothing. And um, I, I just think it's it's worth it to hire somebody who knows what they're doing and uh, get some support in developing a more inclusive range, especially the the average UK size is a size 16 right now. And most of these brands are cutting off at a size 14 and calling it an extra large, which for starters is just like, that's so harmful for mental health. I had, I had a really hard time with like disordered eating when I was younger and I was a size 12 to 14. And I used to think like, oh my gosh, how can I be I'm, I'm too big for extra large, like that did such horrible things for my self-esteem and really fed into a, a completely inaccurate mental image of what I, what I looked like and things like that. And while I don't subscribe now to the idea that fat is worse, 
it's still a kind of creating a fake oh these people are plus size and these people are straight size and if you're above extra large you're five times extra large it's just like they're creating a system that inherently separates people and makes people feel bad um and i just think that's like overarchingly so harmful and yeah i was just shopping for somebody recently and uh you're just like oh for a birthday gift i could get them the biggest size but what if it doesn't fit and then they have store credit that doesn't even mean anything and they're below average size it doesn't even make any sense yeah um totally <laughs> we can only have this fashion revolution that we're all after right if and only if it's accessible to everyone exactly sorry i'm so bad about like going off on some tangent where i can't remember what the original no i love i love the tangents because it it leads me on really really nicely to other things i want to talk to you about um because i really enjoyed learning about your thoughts on self-acceptance and body neutrality which is something that i've talked about on the podcast before with a dietitian who's really Mm -hmm. uh championed that notion but Um, I love how you talked in the BBC video you did about how modelling your underwear range was an important step on your journey towards feeling more accepting of your own body. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process? Because I watch, I look at your images and look at how bold and how strong they are and how incredible you look. And I just think, wow, that is amazing. But I just couldn't, I just don't think I could do it. Yeah, well... The first time that I modeled my own underwear was, I think I was pregnant, but I didn't know I was pregnant yet. So I was like approximately a size 14. It was maybe like some years ago. I wasn't particularly fat, but I wasn't like wildly skinny or anything like that. I just was kind of probably pretty average Mm -hmm. and I didn't have any models or anything and people were asking and I finally was like, (laughs) I was on holiday. Well, I was working with my mom in Amsterdam on a photography shoot that she was doing and uh, we were in our hotel and I was like, mom, can you take a picture of me in my underwear? (laughs) And I remember my aunt being like, oh, that's a little weird. Like a mom taking a picture of their daughter in underwear? And I was like, yep. Um, but when I was on, I had, I I guess I posted that picture and then the, uh, one of the women who was on the shoot with me said something about like, oh, I could never do something like that. And seeing you do that makes me question why I would never take that kind of photo of myself. And that moment to me was like, oh my gosh, holy crap, like, that that's so impactful within like one one day of hearing of of having that like taking that picture and posting it hearing somebody being impacted in that way and i was like then it kind of pushed me to be like yeah why what why wouldn't i have been comfortable with that um and then i remember after i was pregnant saying to my mom like i really really want as soon as i'm done being pregnant for you to like make sure you take a picture of my belly (laughs) because I remember when I was pregnant I was like I don't know what to expect like I'm looking for pictures of like postpartum bodies and there it's so hard to find them Mm -hmm. there's not even like uh 
you, you can't look it up and like just find what an average person looks like after pregnancy because it's so so hidden and I guess so shameful I found oh, I wish I could remember her name but um I had found an Instagram of somebody who was she's like very slim a attractive mom blogger person and she has like a very stretchy belly from pregnancy and she was talking about how like every one of her sort of social group gets a tummy tuck after they have pregnancy oh, no just way. every single one of them yeah and and she didn't know that until after and was just like you know I don't want to do this but I think so many people are so incredibly ashamed of what what they look like as their body changes with different life events that they don't even acknowledge it and then would like hide it away and never tell anyone it happened and that to me I was like I don't want to be a part of that I actively want to be not a part of that and my body changed in so many ways after being pregnant like I gained so much weight and I, I have so many stretch marks so much saggy skin and I was just like I want people to easily be able to find this <laughs> and know this is this is a part of just what some bodies do as they change and have life events like that thank you so much for doing it honestly I I it, it we just I think all of us need to kind of diversify our feeds as much as we can so we see more of more normal looking people who don't make us feel bad about how we should or shouldn't look when we've done yeah. one of the most incredible things in the world which is bring new life into this world and I feel really I think I, I, I still see so many images of perfect looking mothers with their children very close to um, after giving birth. And it, I just feel like, hang on a second. How? What? I don't understand. <laughs> how have you had the time to cur curate this image? And like, <laughs> this isn't helpful I, because it should. And also, I guess. I don't know. I've, I feel I feel quite conflicted about it. I don't have children of my own yet. But obviously, I'm. I'm thinking about it and um, yeah I'm just really grateful for you sharing those images and I find them super inspiring and I really wish that more fashion brands could show more normal looking people the more I see it the more I love it and I just yeah I wish it was more kind of widespread yeah one of the things that I found that I did find frustrating after I had ransom was that I kind of noticed in myself a little bit more, I was a little bit more forthcoming with my body and the way that it looked because I felt I had an excuse, which I think is a really harmful way to think about it, where I guess, um, and I, I uh, quite a few like other fat people reached out to me about this at various points of talking about like, you don't have to have an excuse of, you know, I have that, but I didn't have a baby. <laughs> and that was really impactful to me as well, where I, I realized, you know, it's not just because you've had this life event, which is having a baby, doesn't mean that's the way that justifies the way that your body looks. And so I did, um, I've always since then kind of tried to think about including people who weren't who weren't necessarily like a mother who can say, oh, I have stretch marks because 
I, I gave birth and it, cause I found it really kind of found it a bit kind of like, it almost made me feel weird when people were like, yeah, those are your tiger stripes. You've earned them from having a baby. <laughs> I was kind of like, oh. yeah, because also it's so harmful for all of the people who can't necessarily have children or don't want to have children. Yeah. It's just yeah. something I come across loads on, uh, online. I have, I, ha- I had a comment the other day, which was like, well, it's fine for you. You don't have kids. And I'm like, yes, you're right. I don't, but what if I'm trying? And you've just said that, like, that would be, yeah. and I can't, you know, like, mm. yeah, people have, I mean, I had stretch marks before I had a baby. And even then it's like, it's so hard for, it's hard because our culture is literally programmed to like hate fat. So you kind of, you have to, that's why I think body neutrality is important because you have to take yourself with a grain of salt. Like I read a thing at one point a few years ago that was like, we can't really be fat positive until our culture isn't actively fat negative like because everybody's gonna have these really harmful intrusive like anti-fat or anti-change to your body thoughts because it's not even like you thought it you probably saw something literally yesterday that was like lose weight mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so it's, it's, it's really hard to undo those thoughts and I guess that's like a big part of why I think positivity can be a really unattainable goal for people I want people to be very positive about themselves but that's not like (laughs) it's not necessarily really a thing that I think is super realistic and I also think that body positive well I know body positivity specifically as a movement is like I don't know a lot of the details but it is something that was started by marginalized people for their bodies (laughs) and I, I think like to make space for that movement for marginalized people to feel positive about their bodies, like we need to make a space in our kind of like white average sized culture at large that is more neutral and allows a space where positivity can come in instead of being negative. But that's a lot of work in itself. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I agree. Could you um, recommend any ways listeners um, could perhaps get into sewing or making their own clothes who don't yet do that? (laughs) It's so funny because I I am like almost totally self-taught and only learned how to use patterns very recently. It's it's absolutely incredible, (laughs) honestly. When When I read that, I was like, what? I just, I hate learning the right way to do things, which is, it's good and bad because it it can mean I can get so much done in a shorter period of time, but then I have to double back and learn things all the time. That's so annoying. (laughs) I wish I had a better grounding, but really like, um, sewing really basic patterns, almost every company has a box top. Um, I would say if you're trying to get into sewing, don't choose a pattern that needs stretch fabric because that's a whole other other ball game. <laughs> but um, if you're fat and you're starting sewing, I there's this new pattern company um, called Muna and Broad that's by, uh, I'm going to say their Instagram handles because I can't. <laughs> uh, Oh, no, Jess, who's from Fat Bob and Girl, and then Layla, who's Layla Sews on Instagram. They uh, they have a range of 
patterns that are only plus size that are really, really easy to sew. Um, just like kind of very like basic patterns, like a box top and a, a drawstring or elastic waist trouser that I think would be really good starter patterns because it, it's pretty straightforward construction. But any anything like that, like an elastic waist trouser, that's not going to look really bad if you get something wrong is probably a good place to start with uh, teaching yourself how to sew clothes because you really just you're setting yourself up for disappointment if you start with something tailored I think yeah absolutely that is great <laughs> advice thank you for thank you for those recommendations too I'll leave them in the show notes quick fire with Lydia breakfast lunch or dinner dinner tea or coffee tea porridge or pancakes pancakes Burgers or fries? Fries. Pasta or pizza? Pizza. Spring or summer? Spring. Crocheting or sewing? Crocheting. Red or pink? <laughs> pink, I think. <laughs> That's a hard one. Podcasts or Netflix? Oh, podcasts. Chocolate or nut butter? Nut butter. Talking or taste buds? Talking. <laughs> that was quick fire with Lydia. I would love to know what are your three kitchen essentials? These are three ingredients that knowing you have them in your kitchen make you feel more relaxed about life. Mm, coconut milk. Uh, <laughs> fried onions. And... Uh, Garlic powder. Good choices. What lifts your soul? This is our penultimate question. Mm, uh, when I feel unconditional love for people. <laughs> That's lovely. That's such a nice answer. And finally, <laughs> what is your last meal, starter, main and dessert? Oh, uh, I'm tempted to say pizza, pizza and pizza. <laughs> I hear you on that front, honestly. <laughs> Especially I found out I'm allergic to cheese like <gasps> a little bit ago and now I just only want cheese pizza all the time. Lydia, thank you so much for sharing so much incredible information and inspiration. I really, really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for being a part of the show. Thank you for having me. Can I just say real quick as well, caveat for everything. I talk and talk until I can't remember what I was talking about. And I know I'm not always the most well-informed on everything. So uh, forgive me if some of my opinions or things I've said <laughs> change very quickly. Can I take that caveat for life as well, please? <laughs> as someone who's like spent way too much time saying really problematic things on the internet for the past five years, yeah. I will take that caveat too. I'm always just like, who knows what I said at the end of that? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, you can rate and review the show. That makes a huge difference in helping me get the word of the podcast out there. And I've also left links to other episodes that I think you might enjoy in the show notes. I want to say a huge thank you to Vivo Life for making the show possible and also to you for listening. I'll see you back here really soon. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 